Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash are you just watching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 71. Are you just watching? Episode 71, Hidden Figures, Part 2. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're continuing a very fun discussion on the Hidden Figures movie. And we're going to delve into quotes on this episode. We'll be lucky to fit it in the hour podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of to recap what we were talking about at the end of the last episode, we were talking a little bit about racism and uh, just kind of compare and contrast uh, what segregation was really like in the you know fifties and sixties and, and with what we deal with now. Yeah, actually, we should mention um, if you are just joining us. For episode <laughs> yeah. 71, we strongly encourage you to go back and start with episode 70 because – Right. You're coming into a middle of a discussion. Exactly. <laughs> and so we were talking just a little bit about you know prepping yourself and, and being valuable. And um, you had brought up a quote in the midst of what we were talking about. And so we thought we would start with that quote uh, right off the bat right here on this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, – so in the movie, there's uh, there's – Two computing groups. There's the West Computing Group, which is the the uh, the black computers, uh, computers being computers who wear skirts. In this case, uh, the the women <laughs> and glasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. We should we should have thrown that one in. Um, uh, but there's also a. Uh, oh, a computing group uh, that's made up of white women headed up by uh, Vivian Mitchell, mm-hmm. and the way it works is, you know, Vivian brings in the assignments for the black computers and they, they all get sent to whatever department needs a computer for that day, somebody to to crunch the numbers. And uh, there's this scene where Vivian hands a new set of assignments to Dorothy. Permanent or temp? Everything's temporary, Dorothy. So I got the impression that they were talking about here was that uh, all the computers in the movie know that sitting in the other room, (laughs) (laughs) sitting in the other room, there is this massive IBM 7490, I think it is, that is destined that they are in that NASA is intending that this computer put all of these human computers out of a job. Mm hmm. And as we were talking about in episode 70, it seems like Vivian, uh, Mrs. Mitchell and her group uh, have just uh, rolled over and, and uh, you know, exposed their belly type thing <laughs> and accepted their fate. This is the end fate. of our job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But, uh, but Dorothy, uh, she's taken the, the bull by the horns here. She sees uh, she sees this computer and she immediately identifies a need and then starts planning and taking intelligent, thoughtful action. Right. To preserve a job. Because she, she – yeah. Not just hers either. And yeah. I love yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah. She, she brings it – she actually goes into the West Computing Group and it offers all of the ladies, you know, we're going to be out of a job if we don't learn how to do this. And so we are going to learn how to program – that big monstrous mainframe. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how true to life her character was. It's, I I believe it, like all three characters, I believe it was uh, fairly accurate. But she portrays a wonderful leader. Yes. Uh, very, very thoughtful and, and forward thinking, proactive, uh, just the type of person I would want to be working for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a shame uh, because she's doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so she was upset. Uh, it, you, you see her kind of upset because she was doing so much work. And, and here's the quote for that. 
What's not fair is having the responsibility of a supervisor, but not the title or the pay. Now, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this is she wasn't she did kind of complain because she kept asking uh, Vivian about, you know, her promotion, whether she could get promoted to supervisor because she was doing the work mm-hmm. of a supervisor. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting about that, and it's something I've kind of experienced in my own experience working, is that employers typically don't fill a hole they don't see. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if the work is getting done, then they don't see the need to hire somebody to do it. If the problem doesn't affect the bottom line. Right. Then why invest in it? Right. If if it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) (laughs) So I really feel like Dorothy was hurting herself there because there was this void in the West competing group. There was no supervisor. Mm -hmm. And so she stepped up and filled that void. Uh, un informally and because she filled it there wasn't a void there yeah it's it, it you know this still happens in oh yeah it happens every all day the time. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i actually heard some when i was leaving work today i heard some ladies in the bathroom as i was leaving i um they were they came in while i was in the restroom and they were having some conversation about uh an employee that apologized for making a mistake and they were like um they one of them made some comments like, "Well, you know that the only time that anybody notices is when you make a mistake. When you you could you know do thirty things and never make a mistake, and nobody would ever notice, but until you make a mistake, and yeah, that's just that's just the way it is in any job. It's like a, as long as the work's getting done, they're not going to pat you on the head for getting the work done. Yeah, it, it, you're paid to do the job. <laughs> <laughs> so the I thought pat that on was the back tr- is the paycheck, right? Exactly. So I think that in, in this situation, she's saying it was unfair about how she was doing the duties of a supervisor, but she didn't have the title or the pay. It's like if she had quit doing those duties, then they would have needed somebody to do them. And then she could have stepped up and asked for that promotion. But because she was already doing them, as far as they, they could see, the West Computing Group was working just fine without a supervisor. So why did they need to pay one? Yeah, but you know, she wasn't the type of person to see need and and uh, not fill it. Not, yeah, not fill it. Right. And what I found interesting was that she did eventually get that promotion, and the reason why she got that promotion was because, uh, well, in the movie, I don't know, in the context of the movie, why she got the promotion was because Vivian asked her to do something that she needed a supervisor's authority to do, mm. which was accept other members into her team. Yeah, it's you know I I really feel like the uh, the amount of respect that she had uh, it built up in her relationship with uh, Vivian Mitchell. But uh, I, you know, Vivian didn't have the authority to give her that promotion. It had to come from higher up. But I think that that Vivian put a little bit more clout in you know pushing yeah. to to get her the at the beginning yeah. of the movie. You at, at least I definitely got the feeling that. Vivian was like, yeah, it's it's not going to happen. So I push for it. Yeah, it's not but, high on my priority list. I exactly. love that one line, that one line, and I'll, I'll stick it in here. Well, that's NASA for you. Fast with rocket ships, slow with advancement. Um, so, yeah, that was her attitude about, you know, all of this. It's, it's just like, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and it wasn't an, it wasn't a priority in her book because it didn't affect her job any as long as she could hand out the assignments and the assignments got done. It didn't really matter to her. Her temporary job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, the next quote that we're going to deal with is. Um, oh, it, it's, it's when she's talking to her kids. I love this quote. So we're going to play it for you. Now, I understand you want to be grown and have your own space. So whoever sleeps in that bed in Joylette's place will also do the dishes, take out the trash, and do all of Joylette's chores. Oh, that's okay. Never mind. Yeah, she's not so terrible to share with. <laughs> now, what's so cool about this is this is this really popped up to me, and this won't be, I don't think, a long discussion, but I really appreciated that she was teaching her kids that with privilege comes responsibility. It isn't just something that you have to earn privilege. Mm-hmm. And I hate it, to say this, but... Not not only do you have to earn it, but once you get it, you got to work to keep it. 
Right, exactly. And and that that's something I think that and, and I'm not going to point this at black people because I don't think this is a racial thing. No, I think absolutely it's, not. Some, it's, it's something that we are failing to teach the next generation that they feel like they just entitled to a bunch of stuff just because they exist and they're Americans. And it's like, no, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with with anything in life. And Whatever you achieve, it comes with a whole list of things that you have to do to keep it. Mm-hmm. And, oh, boy, are we we failing to teach that to our kids. And that just – I got so excited when I when I saw that scene in the movie. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, you preach it, sister. <laughs> you teach those girls how to work for what they earn. And the girls, they get it immediately. What's their response? <laughs> I don't want that bad. Yeah, that's all right. We'll go back to bed. <laughs> yeah um that was i just oh i'm sorry that just really leapt out of me i mean it's just a little tiny moment it was really just to show that she was a good mom Mm -hmm. which she was i mean even though she worked full-time she was a good mom we'll talk about it a little bit more uh later on but uh catherine really uh, depended upon her mother because uh as a as a widow Mm-hmm. Um, her mother stayed at home and and uh, helped raise the kids, and that was a wonderful relationship. Even though it was mm-hmm. not truly featured in the movie that well, I think it's amazing what single moms what single moms can do. Yeah, and I firmly believe that the best the best family is one that has a mom and a dad. Mm-hmm. But um, we have a great quantity of single parents now in our culture, but. You know, not only are we seeing what Catherine did um, with her girls, um, the way she was raising her girls in this movie, but I, I hearken back to our conversation in the last episode about briefly we talked about Ben Carson. If you read his history of where he came from, um, one of the things that I think is absolutely beautiful is that his mom was a single mom and she never graduated from high school. She didn't know how to read. And one of the things that she required of Ben and his brothers was that they had to go and check out a a book out of the library, read it, and uh, submit a book report to her in addition to the schooling that they were doing. And he wasn't, it wasn't until he grew up that he found out that she never read any of those book reports because she couldn't read, but she required them to educate themselves. Yeah. And that's a good story. Yeah. That to me is just. A testament to what a mom can be to her children, because you can instill so much in your kids just by requiring them to meet a standard because kids want to please and they want to they want boundaries. They want they want to be taught. And if we teach them to be victims, then they're going to grow up to be victims or you can teach them to educate themselves, to be proactive, to learn to do for themselves, to take responsibility for themselves and, and to be something. And they will, if they'll rise to that. So yeah, I just, I I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. It really does speak to, uh, to good parenting skills. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I mean, the whole movie opens with uh, a parent teacher conference, which I love. (laughs) And and both parents are there, and uh, they're dealing with a clearly gifted uh, eight year old. Yeah, I think she was she was. Way oh, she young. was going into eighth grade. She was skipping That's over what, seventh, yeah. right? So she was probably like twelve. Yeah, um, but clearly gifted, and, and the parents. Uh, I mean, the parents they literally picked up and moved just so that she could go to a better school. Yeah, so yeah. she she had. A, Good example she to had, build on. Yeah, she yeah she did, and I I don't know about you, but when at the beginning there where she was looking at the stained glass and picking out the shapes, the shapes and yeah. stuff, and and giving them their names. I I don't know why, but I just instantly flashed to the TV show numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think of that, but yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> they use that cinematic in there too of, of mm-hmm. breaking everything and showing the math. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I didn't think of yeah. that. <laughs> That's always been one of my favorite TV shows. Yeah. And I understood from talking to a real mathematician that a lot of the math in that show was real. It was just applied wrong. Well, creative license. Creative license, yeah. So anyway, that was kind of a, a bunny trail, but it's it, that's what I thought of when I saw that scene. <laughs> that's a, like, that's see- a valid bunny trail, though. A mathematical yeah. <laughs> bunny trail. Yeah, see, seeing, seeing math. And I, I've often wondered... You know uh, that that you can 
that people who are gifted that way, it just makes sense to them. I mean, and Catherine even says that later on, is that the math that never fails you. And, and I think Harrison's response was for you. Yeah. Math is always dependable. <laughs> yeah. Right. For you, it is. <laughs> um, for people who can think in math, you know, it's like, a, I guess, like a foreign language. If you yeah. can think in math, I, I do not have that gift. <laughs> nope. Me neither. My daughters are a lot better at math than I am. Yeah. And, and you know, looking at the stuff that they that they learn, I don't think I ever got close. <laughs> well, back to our quotes. The next quote we have. Oh, yeah, we we're have, doing quotes. That's right. Yes, we're doing quotes. Um, uh, the next quote I have, and this is actually a conversation between uh, Levi and Mary. We're Negro, baby. Ain't no such thing. Understand it. It's not like that there, Levi. You can't apply for freedom. Freedom is never granted to the oppressed. It, it's, it's got to be demanded, taken. Stop quoting your slogans at me. There is more than one way to achieve something. Now, what I liked about Mary's response there is, is that she's looking outside the conventional box of solutions. It's like, and I think that that is the way we have to approach some problems in life. It's like not with the gut reaction or, or and I, we talked about this at length in our previous episode. Where, where we were talking about how you don't have to do the violence. You can combat stuff with a soft answer. You know, we talked about the Beatitudes. And I, I think that, that, that this is the epitome of that in that, is that Mary was not a quiet individual. No, no, Mary wasn't. <laughs> and, of course, ne- neither is Levi. No. Uh, but Mary's actually the calming influence of <laughs> Levi. Yeah, and, and, the, and the fact that she can she can respond to him in this way and that there's more than one way to achieve something, you know, that she's looking for the right way to do something. Yeah. It is a testament that you don't have to be a victim. She, she was not a victim. She was a loud mouth. She was very boisterous and <laughs> pretty um, opinionated, had, opinionated, had great attitude, but she was, she was willing to put that in the proper place yeah. when it, when it came to, uh, achieving her goals and even like when she talked to the judge she did so boldly but with proper humility yeah to to meet him where he was um i do want to say i'd like that they put in uh, and i don't know how historically accurate the character of levi was but i i like that they put him in uh as the near or borderline militant that he was uh mm-hmm. because it really helped to contrast to the successful and uh, uh, meek attitudes of the women as they accomplished everything that the militant side was setting out to accomplish and, frankly, failing. Right, right. Uh, um, it's, Levi was a, a, a good uh, backboard contrast. to compare against. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought um, the... The colonel, too, the one who eventually marries um, Catherine. Oh, yeah. Jim Johnson. Colonel Jim Johnson. Yeah, Colonel Jim Johnson. Um, I thought that he was good, too, because he represented a little bit of the – he didn't think women. It wasn't that he was <laughs> racist. That he, he was surprised that women were doing it. So Yeah, it's, and you know, it, it just goes to show that we all have our biases. Right. Right. And you don't have to be a white man to have a bias. And, and this guy, he should have known better. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when it's a woman he wanted to woo. <laughs> I thought he blew it. Yeah. It's amazing that she was able to forgive him. <laughs> Especially when he had such a hard time apologizing. Okay. Now, leading this actually leads right into the next quote because the next quote is, you know, Mary has been kind of upset. Well, all three of them are upset at this point, but Mary is the one that kind of chews on it for a while. You know, the fact that she can't get these classes that she wants to take. And she complains about it amongst to her girlfriends so often that they end up, you know, getting a little bit tired of it. And this is what they said. Petition the court. Fight for what you want. But quit talking about it. <laughs> quit talking about it. <laughs> quit complaining. Do something. So I I thought this was a good point to to bring out is that complaining doesn't fix things. You can complain about things, but in, and we kind of addressed this a little bit in the previous episode about you know 
having a real problem so that you can take the steps to fix it. And, and I think that this is, this is where this quote is leading. It's like, don't just complain, take the steps to fix it. Yeah. And it, then you have something to complain about, you know? Ben Shapiro, I think I brought him up uh, briefly in the, yep. in the last episode. Um, he he has a, this way of calling it. He says, you don't tilt at windmills or fight ghosts. And, and I think uh, if, if it, anybody's interested in hearing, I'm going to actually put in our show notes a couple videos um, kind of targeted to some of the things he's talked about with racism. And I really appreciate his point of view because he says that racism is bad. He agrees with that. But we can't fight racism unless there's a particular thing that we can do something about. So if you're just going to complain about institutionalized racism in general, you know, white privilege, the, you know, just the general, you know, downtrodden black man in the United States, he says, there's nothing I can do about that. Give me a specific thing that I can fight and I will stand beside you and fight with you for it. I'll have to check these videos Um, out. To to solve that. I'm hesitant to agree with it because... I need more information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, what his point, though, is is that we can't fight it unless there's something that we can fight. If it's this amorphous thing, you can't fight that. So you, you have to turn it into something you can fight. Mm. If there's a law that is holding you down, then let's fight the law. If there is an organization that's, you know, hurting people in the name of racism, then let's boycott that organization. Let's do something about it. But let's not just say racism is a problem because we can't fix that problem unless it's it's got a way to fix it. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. I'm going withhold- <laughs> to withhold my comments and, and keep them for the discussion group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People could bring it up there. And, and I know that ben, ben Shapiro is one of those um, – well, he's not quite as bad as Milo Yiannopoulos, but he, he's one of those people that people love to hate and try to debate. And um, so, I, you know, he's my new favorite because he doesn't let anybody uh, corner him. He's mm. very good at countering any argument. But what I really take that to, to understand is that in, in this instance, especially, it's like she addressed the problem. Yeah. I, cannot get into, I cannot get into the school to take classes. You boil it down to a problem that you can address. And then she goes to court. She petitions the court. She gets a court date. She researches the judge so that she knows what argument will work on him. She uses that argument and gets what she needs in order to become an engineer. And she becomes the first African-American uh, female engineer. Yeah. She really devotes herself to the uh, to the issue, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, she not only does she research the judge to uh, to learn how to best influence his decision-making process, but she clearly holds her personality in check. Her mm-hmm. her uh, more her attitude. brash attitude <laughs> when when uh, when in front of the court. I mean, she's respectful and she she's all in, and that for me brought to mind First uh, Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven. Uh, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So I do mm. not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others – I myself should be disqualified. And that's in my mind that's what Mary did here. She mm-hmm. controlled herself and she ran this little portion of the race uh for all she was worth. Right. And it and it paid out. I mean she she did what what needed to be done. And I the scene where she walks into that whites only school to take that class and <laughs> I don't see a colored section. I guess I'll just take any desk. I, you know, I, I, I'd forgotten about it, but I like how the teacher handled it. Eh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Have a seat. <laughs> Just went on to teaching. So, and, and that's the way, you know, I, I, we didn't put it in the show notes any, or in the outline anywhere to talk, talk about, but one of the things I really appreciated about this movie was John Glenn. And when, when they first uh, introduced the astronauts to the, to the group there, how he made it a, a special effort to walk over and talk to the group of yeah. uh, African-American computers. And 
um, and asked them what they did and what they contributed. And he was, and he shook their hands. And I like to think, and that there were a lot of people like that to, to say that racism is this, this general thing that if you're white, you're born a racist is I think is wrong to assume that because I think that slavery would have never ended if that were true, that, that white people, that there weren't white people willing to stand up and, and say, no, this is wrong. There were, there have always been abolitionists, Right, hundred years or more before the Civil War. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying, though, is, yeah. is that without them, if there wasn't, tr- if it were true that all white people are racist, then black people would have never gotten past that. You know what I'm saying? Because we had to make it happen before they could make it happen. Mm. So there, there have been white people all along who have never um, seen black people that way. Uh, I'd like to think that no matter how, uh, no, no matter what happened, it still would have played out just as a reflection of uh, God's common grace. Right. Um, but uh, sin's a powerful thing, uh, both the original sin and the sin that we keep on doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. it, clearly, I mean, it, it, it led to the... Uh, the horrendous version of slavery that uh, we ended up with in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but believe me, I'm not saying that it's. Oh yeah. Uh, I understand. I, what I'm saying though, is, is that there were white people all along mm-hmm. that were not, did not, did not hold this opinion. And I think John Glenn is, is a, a amazing portion of this because we were talking about in the last episode, all the casual racism and the characters that, represented that Mm -hmm. and i don't think john glenn ever looked at Catherine or any of the others like they were different somehow yeah i got that impression with uh with al harrison too that uh Mm -hmm. that he treated everyone equally um Mm -hmm. but uh but you know we we see the scenes where where he just tacitly accepts uh right accepts the racism and yeah John Glenn, the way they portray John Glenn, and I don't have any reason to believe that this wasn't the case for him in particular, uh, mm-hmm. he actively rejected it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you like you said, he he specifically went out of the way to to go over to the, the black computing group where they're they're standing in front of the, the hangar to to shake their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah. Now, our our next quote, it was Dorothy. Dorothy on the bus to her uh, to her sons right after the library. Yeah, and she, you know, at, and at this point, um, they've seen she she actually had to gu- kind of guide her sons away from the protest that was happening because there was uh, it it wasn't quite violent, but it was kind of getting there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, violent protest against segregation um, when she goes to the library and and then she meets this segregation at the library and i think that was where it's the most actually th- this is this is uh just a hair later right after they get thrown out that's what i'm saying oh, is oh it, i'm sorry it, yeah um that after she meets with the segregation at the library and they, they they're on the bus ride home um i think that you know she had been hurt a little bit by the implication that there were certain books that she just didn't have a need to 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 have or to read and and so this quote comes up Separate and equal are two different things. Just cause it's the way doesn't make it right. Understand? Yes, mama. You act right. You are right. That's for certain. All right. So I think this is another instance of a mom trying to teach her children um, the right way. Yeah. It's it's not really a biblical. Yeah. Well, I actually had uh, mixed feelings about this quote. Yeah. Um it for me it uh it's not said in the context of what is and is not right. Uh mm-hmm. you know she says you, you act right you are right. But uh it, I mean the entire book of judges, the entire story of judges is uh how people doing what was right in their own eyes Mm-hmm. Was, got them in trouble yeah was definitely yeah. not right in god's eyes right so we human beings in our fallen state cannot be 
adequate judges of of uh, what is right and what is wrong consistently. It's extremely – and my problem with atheists is, is that if you don't have a foundation for a moral standard, then your moral standard is very subjective and you can keep moving the line. Mm-hmm. And if you have a biblical basis for a moral standard, then you have a, a foundation to point to. This is why it is right. This is why it is wrong. Yeah. And without that foundation, you don't have – a leg to stand on, really, because what's right to you might not be right to someone else. Yeah. So, so you're right. This is extremely a subject, a subjective way of putting it. I understand where she's coming from at this point sure. because she is a bit disgruntled and she's forced, <laughs> she's forced to do a wrong thing. Steal a library book. Steal a library. I'd book, like yes. to think I mean, she returned it when she was done. <laughs> she still had it when she was in the. <laughs> Imagine those late fees. Yeah. Well, she didn't check it out, so there would oh, be like good point. <laughs> it's I I do want to point out though that uh that there is an element of of uh correctness in it though. Um uh, Paul in in Romans 6 um talks about the effect of of serving uh serving a righteous master. Uh Romans 6:17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become a have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because you, because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more law, lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification and Paul repeats this uh, this theme a couple more times in uh, in chapter six that uh, serving God, even even uh, being a slave to God, which uh, he as he mentions is uh, is a human term for the level of obedience and commitment, mm-hmm. um, will lead to sanctification and righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. And the other thing that's, you know, pointed about this quote is that she's she's talking about uh, blo- not relying on the status quo because mm-hmm. it's like just because it's the way doesn't make it right. You don't have to um, say that. Well, it's always been that way. You yeah. know, you always hear that, you know, let, let's just yeah. keep doing this because it's always been that way. You don't have to to hold to a, a bad status quo. Yeah. You can push the lines out and and. That's what this whole movie was really about, was pushing the lines out. So, Yeah. Our next quote, we kind of touched on this in the previous episode about how we were bringing, this movie brings, unites people out, you know, you know, blurs the lines between gender and quote unquote race and makes it something where we're all American pulling together. And this is one of those quotes. Find the genius among those geniuses. Pull us all up. We all get to the peak together or we don't get there at all. And this is Harrison, right? Yep. Yeah. Ha- it's Al Harrison talking to Paul Stafford. Right. And uh, it's I, I like this quote in particular, but we saw in the deleted scenes that this is actually the end of a, a longer discussion that I actually thought would have fit perfectly. Uh, mm-hmm. In the movie, I, I really wish they had left it in, but ah, they didn't ask me. <laughs> Imagine that. They are probably trying to get to a certain amount of minutes yep. on the movie. So. It's, it, you know, they probably asked me and it went to my junk mail. <laughs> that always yeah. happens. Yeah. But uh, it's the uh, the deleted scene. Um, Harrison is talking to, uh, talking to Stafford about uh, Edmonton's original uh, ascent of uh, – Mount Everest and mm-hmm. uh, the story of of Edmonton and the Sherpa, whose name escapes me. Uh, the Sherpa that he uh, he chose to go to the top with him, how they uh, how they bonded into a uh, a team that that surpassed uh, race and surpassed even the desire for credit. Mm-hmm. And he he wraps it up with this quote. And uh, and this is and in the final cut of the movie, 
this is the only part of that discussion that you hear. Mm-hmm. And it was a very important one because it, it, it's pulling it's that that teamwork, that importance of working as a team to um, to draw together and to to get there together. Yeah, and uh, that's really what this movie was all about. And I thought it is interesting in the outline you were pointing out all the the different ways. Um, that people that these women were pulling together. Yeah, it's it, that. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the movie, and I think I probably said that like ten times in, in the last <laughs> episode. Whole, in this the one. whole movie is our favorite <laughs> part. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the uh, hidden. The whole story of hidden figures highlights uh, really clearly how the uh, the three women depend on their relationships with others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, I mean, in the, the closest circle, you have the friendship between the three women. And I, I don't know if that friendship is uh, strictly historical. I, I, I get the impression that they, uh, that they were all there at the same time, but not, you know, not as closely meshed, uh, story-wise in reality as, as they were in the movie. But uh, in the movie, their their friendship. Well, their names all came. The Dorothy and Mary's name came up because it was Catherine. Uh, from what I understand, yeah. the woman who wrote the book interviewed Catherine extensively, and so the names of the other two came up when interviewing Catherine. So obviously, she knew them well enough to pull their names up decades later. Yeah, you know, um, as important to her story. Yep. Because they were had had both passed away by the time the the book was written. It's uh, the uh, the way they portray that friendship in in Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. It really uh, really makes you feel good. It really yeah. it really is a feel good relationship, and it, yeah. and it's featured from moment one when they're working on the car on the side of the road. Yeah, they're they're different personalities because Dorothy's the the get her fixed person. And and Catherine's the stare off dreamily into space and think about numbers person, and and uh, Mary is the attitude. Yeah, she uh, she brings the sass to the team. Yes. Uh, so uh, moving out from that from that inner circle, you see how uh, all three women and their families all attend the same church, and you get a real sense uh, of. Uh, how that church is is its own family um mm-hmm. it's in the movie it's portrayed as uh the stereotypical um mid-sized uh black southern baptist church uh but it feels so right for the movie mm-hmm. um I, it fits as easily as well as pharrell williams music did mm-hmm. and and i and to be honest i think that's a piece of culture too because yeah um, that that is an aspect of the fifties and sixties that I think our modern generation just doesn't get. That most small towns were centered around church life, whether it was a black church or a white church. Um, communities pulled together because of churches, and uh, we we've completely lost that in our culture. And maybe what's part of the problem that's wrong with our culture today? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was integral to small town community um, back then. So, in addition to the church family, there's also the uh, the family, the the familial relations. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier Catherine's dependence upon her mom and her mm-hmm. love for her kids, and right. the way the whole story with uh, Colonel Johnson plays out. Uh, but uh, Dorothy, uh, I mean, a number of scenes take place in Dorothy's home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it very nice home too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, in the in the trivia, uh, didn't it say that the home where they filmed those scenes um, was a, a period home that is uh, still in the same state as when Martin Luther King met a civil, a local civil rights leader there? I don't know. I don't remember reading that trivia. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll, I'll find it up. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, Dorothy and her husband uh, – and family, and then of course Mary and Levi. Uh, the the relationships all were very realistic. Both yeah. inform, yeah, they inform the viewer, and they they are uh, 
they are realistically flawed. <laughs> and uh, it's I like that so much more than if they were uh, storybook or fairy tale uh, relationships because it, it makes the characters so much more relatable. Right. Well, it, and we're dealing with historical figures, so that helps mm-hmm. that we're, it isn't a storybook uh story we're telling you know it's it's real life and so i appreciate yeah that the characters they they went it didn't make their marriages look perfect or um and right. it, uh, i i like you know the whole wooing of Catherine and her marriage and and all of that too that was that was well done yeah and the deleted scenes actually include a little bit more about uh family so mm-hmm. uh if you if you get the dvd folks you can see that part yeah maybe someday they'll do the director's cut of the movie yeah, that'd be nice. So uh, the the last um, relationships that I wanted to bring up were the uh, the relationships that uh, the three women depended upon and uh, even cultivated with their coworkers. Um, uh, Catherine and uh, Al Harrison and Paul Stafford, um, and to a lesser extent. Uh, the uh, the other engineers in the space task group, and even to that for that matter, uh, the relationship with the Mercury Seven and John Glenn in particular, uh, Catherine would not have been able to uh, to succeed the way she did without mm-hmm. those relationships. And Dorothy, with uh, her entire team of the the black computers and the relationship she she uh, cultivated with uh, with Mrs. Mitchell, right, and uh, and. It, to a lesser extent, the the movie also highlights uh, Mary's relationship with uh, the guy. I assume is the uh, uh, the head engineer, another one of those composite characters, uh, Mister uh, Zelinsky. Um, though he was, uh, I don't think closer he was, to being less a composite. Yeah, character. he was. He was tailored after a specific person named yeah. uh, Kaz Kazmierz. Czar's necky or something like that. <laughs> I'm glad they changed his name. <laughs> yeah, Zelensky's hard enough. Yeah. Um, and I have a Polish friend who, if he listens to this, is probably going to beat me. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I mean, those the the interplay of all those relationships and how they uh, how they worked towards a common goal really uh, really is a nice aspect and a, a rewarding aspect of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it it uh, it underpins the success of the of the women in such a way that you know it gives a it it gives a, your happiness at the end a, a nice solid foundation. Yeah, yeah, and that and that really is you know the whole underpinning of the movie. That's the, the relationships that pulling together the teamwork um, all throughout and just contributes to why the movie works and makes it feel real, which it is real. It's a real. Mm-hmm. It's mostly a true story. Yeah, uh, a series of true stories told in common, I guess is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like yeah. that. Um, the final quote. I want to move this along because we still have some things we want to talk about. Um, the, <laughs> the final quote is um, to, just to set it up. Uh, Catherine has been working as a computer, and obviously, once they get the IBM up up and running, uh, it's doing the computations much more rapidly than she can, and so uh, Harrison's forced to call her in and, and basically lay her off and. Uh, this quote comes up. Long story short, we no longer need a computer in this department. Progress is a double-edged sword. That 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 last line there, progress is a double-edged sword. That that really uh, stuck stuck in my gut. I guess you could say. Yeah, um, it, it's true, and we're seeing that continuously. Progress never goes away, and I think that um, we see it personified. Uh, in this movie, and I mean literally personified. I mean, how many of us thought going into this as of computer as a word like teacher? Yeah, I, um, I was con- I was confused. Yeah, <laughs> when the movie first started, um, they they talked about the West computers and everything. I was like, where are the computers? Yeah, um, our call, our generation, my generation, was raised with computer being a thing. It's an object. It's it's something that you. Uh, type into and look at on a screen. I never thought of a computer as being a person, but prior to an actual object that was called a computer, a computer was a profession, somebody who computed, Mm -hmm. just like a teacher is somebody who teaches. And the origin of the word, um, the fact that now we we have turned 
this this type of word into an object uh, in our vernacular today is just an indication of what progress does because we re- we replace people with things and that's what progress does yeah. and so it, it's kind of a I don't want to end on a negative note and this is actually not the end of our discussion but one <laughs> of the one of the things that that really came to me watching this is that in this movie we see people being replaced by things and then we're seeing people that are forward thinking enough to somehow be able to sidestep the loss of their job and grow with the progress so that they can still have a role. And uh, Catherine is no longer needed as a computer to just check figures, but she's valued because she is a true mathematician and she can apply uh, the human element to be able to think through a problem, which a computer can only, as we were discussing in the previous episode, a computer can only compute what you give it. And she's able to think outside that box because she's human. And so she, she applies herself in a different way. But in, in today's day and age, we're seeing that where low-skilled jobs are being replaced by machines and computers um, still. And so as a, as a job market, I think this is kind of a challenge to us, uh, especially uh, Dorothy's character is a challenge to all of us mm-hmm. to be, to be forth, forward-thinking enough to see um, where our jobs might be going in the future and, and be quick on a feet enough to foresee a way to sidestep progress so that we can stay employed. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, uh, one of the things that I've been watching is uh, this this whole thing of the last, uh, I want to say, five years or so of the, the push for the $15 an hour minimum wage um, and how it's resulting in... Um, a loss in, of jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's... It, uh, McDonald's actually, uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal not too long ago uh, that McDonald's is uh, upping the amount, the percentage of uh, renovation costs that they that they will pay for their franchisees mm-hmm. to uh, replace people. To, exactly. To pay for the franchisees to buy ordering kiosks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is just going to end up uh, uh, putting the... Um, the, the minimum wage folks who are currently behind the counter uh, out of a out of out of a job, and that's the kind of thing that, it, granted, it may have been uh, hurried along by the whole fifteen dollar an hour protests, but it was going to happen. So it, it's it really is the people who, if they can, uh, don't rest on their laurels. Right. They, they they use the uh, the minimum wage job as as the stepping stone that to something else that I believe it's intended to be right right. Uh, I, just just today I went into an Arby's and uh, and it there was a sign in the window that said uh, now hiring and and underneath it said start here go anywhere <laughs> exactly don't stay here start here don't stay here. <laughs> Not that they don't want you, but you yeah, know. yeah, it's not supposed to. And and that's the thing that bugs me so much is like people they they say, well, you, you can't make a living doing that. I'm like, you're not supposed to make a living doing yeah. that. It's a it's a beginner position. It's supposed to teach you how to work so that you can go on to something else. Um, yeah, and, and I I think that that maybe that's kind of what's wrong with some of our generation. Uh, is that they don't understand that they don't understand that that need to constantly be one step ahead of progress. <laughs> yeah, and it, it definitely it's not everybody. No, but uh, but those who suffer from that sense of entitlement uh, certainly seem to uh, to fall into that category. You have to make your labor valuable to your employer, uh, and to be worth your paycheck. I think we were talking about that earlier in the previous episode. Is yeah. that that you have to be responsible to earn what you deserve and don't expect it just be handed to you. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, get that pat on the back in the form of a paycheck. paycheck. Yes, exactly. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about before we close this episode was the, the topic of race as a term. And I, I think you've probably heard me say a few times throughout the last two episodes, um, re- quote, unquote race or you know put it in quotes um the reason i do that um i'm kind of a a follower of the ministry answers in genesis and one of the things that is the prominent teaching of that ministry is how 
race is a, is an evolutionary term. It's not a biblical term. And I, I think that some people have gotten a mistaken impression that uh, racism was pushed forward by the church, uh, especially during the slavery era. And there were churches that did um, support slavery. Um, but I don't yeah. think it, it and I'm not saying that Christians weren't embroiled in that and they shouldn't have been. But I think Christians were also very strong abolitionists because they know from uh, Scripture, if you're actually applying Scripture, that there is no such thing as races. Um, and uh, one of the key verses for that is, okay, so it comes from Acts seventeen twenty-seven through 28b. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having de- determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So this is, this is um, one of the key verses that the ministry uses. And I, I've always appreciated that, that they were willing to take a stand against this whole concept of race, because, you know, this whole argument of black versus white, have you ever held, I mean, we're both technically white. Um, Have Mm -hmm. you ever held your hand up to a white sheet of paper um, and compared your color to actual white. Uh, and well, it depends. Is it February or June? <laughs> um, and, a, and a black person, have you ever held them up to, like, say, a, a black screen of a TV? Um, they're not truly black. We're all shades of brown. And, yep. and, we, and even within the, you know, supposed races, there are multiple different shades. And, um, and that's because the, we all come from... Adam, we all come from Noah's family uh, mm. that came off the ark. We are, we are all one race. We are all related. And there isn't this whole concept of, you know, different races is, and I hate to say this because I know that some people will not agree with me. It's an evolutionary term. It came, it boiled out of uh, Charles Darwin's um, the on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. So um, the full title of the book, he was actually presenting the concept of races and the whole idea of Negroid and Caucasoid and uh, can you remember what all of them are? There's a whole series of races and you like put them in order by their evolutionary progress. And, and that whole concept of, you know, the black man as being like the bottom of the evolutionary scale that came out of evolutionary thinking. There's nothing biblical in that. And so if, if we come from a biblical point of view where we are all related, we all come from Adam and we are all inherit sin through Adam and we all need the salvation of Christ. It's a very unifying message of, of, uh, you know, the Bible. And it, it's amazing to be able to bring that to people, to remind people that under Christ, we are all equal. Yeah. We're all equally sinners and we're all equally in need of God's grace. And we all have equal um, participation in that. It's a beautiful message that I think a lot of times Christians just fail to use. It's a wonderful argument. It's okay to be different, but yeah. we're not different where it counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we We are every single one of us, man, woman, child, uh, sinners in mm-hmm. uh, totally depraved and totally dependent upon the grace of God for salvation. Right. And, uh, and, and the challenge of Christ, when, when he left us he, in Matthew 28, 19, it says, this is Christ's words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is our commission. It's like we're not supposed to look at supposed races. We're supposed to be looking at unsaved people in need of Christ and people that need to be discipled and and to find Christ. And um, one of the favorite ways they present it at Answers in Genesis is, you know, that there are only two races of man. There's the saved and the unsaved. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when we become saved, we're adopted into the family of Christ. And so we, we are of the family of Christ that makes us a new race. And the unforgiven, the unsaved are the, are the old race. And truly the only interracial marriage is when an unbeliever marries a believer. That's being unevenly yoked. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, we need to just get rid of this term race because it is not a useful term. And it's not a biblical term. And we can look forward to a new 
a new eternity. And, the, and I'm, I'm going to cap this off with Revelations 5.9 because it's such a beautiful picture. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is speaking to the Lamb of you know Christ, the Lamb of God. Um, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that is the beautiful picture of our faith that we hope that all of our listeners are are part of that um, that that ransom people. Be be among the ransomed. Yes, <laughs> the ransomed race. <laughs> don't don't remain a slave to sin. <laughs> so that's that's the. I mean, thank, thankfully, this movie doesn't. For all that it's dealing with the issues of segregation and all of that, it doesn't really throw race in your face, kind of thing. Yep. I was wrong. <laughs> oh, that's right. I, di- I didn't talk about that in this episode. Boy, I yeah. hope you listened to the last episode. So, Yeah, you would know why he just said he was wrong. <laughs> Go back and listen if you haven't already. <laughs> teaser. Teaser. <laughs> Reverse teaser. <laughs> um, so that's what we thought of the movie Hidden Treasures. We really want to know what you thought. Uh, this is out on DVD now. It's been out for, what, about two weeks at the time we're recording this. Yeah, and, yeah that sounds about right. And uh, we're excited to, to bring it to you as soon as possible. <laughs> and we hope that uh, everybody enjoys this movie. I've actually talked to people. It was funny. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I says, uh, actually, it was uh, uh, a gentleman I work with who's Indian uh, by uh, heritage. He's American, but he's uh, Real Indian, not American Indian, but real Indian by heritage. And um, he was talking about all of the the instances where people have mistaken him for various different races because of his <laughs> particular shade of brown. <laughs> oh boy! And 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 so I I brought up hidden figures. I said, "Oh, have you seen hidden figures?" And and he's like, "What is that? A chick flick?" He'd never heard of it. <laughs> and 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 so I I had to tell him you know some scenes from it, and I told him it was a historical, so maybe he'll go watch it now, but. Um, but yeah, I, I highly encourage you if you haven't seen it, you've listened to it, we've completely ruined the movie, but yeah, no um, kidding. <laughs> it's one of those things that I think it's a must see for everybody. It's, I agree. It's, it's a great movie and I highly recommend it. We didn't ever talk about, you know, pluggedin.com and, and reviewing oh, yeah, it because we, that's right, there really isn't anything in the movie to be negative about. That's there. Let's. There's a one instance of alcohol. Uh, there, the, there was some the bad special language. tea that Miss Dorothy brings out. Uh, there's some there's, bad language. Boy, you know, I don't. I don't remember the bad. Well, well, language. there was, and I did notice that that Jesus's name is taken in vain oh. by some of the white people. Some of the the black people are actually making a real tongue in cheek prayer, so it wasn't really taken in vain. So. Um, thank you, Jesus. You know. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, in, uh, keep it inside, Mary. Keep it inside. So, yeah, the um, there is some things in there that that of course you could check out at plugged in online about. But yeah, we um, we we highly recommend the movie, and it, it's not bad enough to be concerned. I think about having older children in. Yeah, this see. movie. Th- this movie is uh, is clearly suitable for uh, i would say middle school on up uh, yeah. at the at the minimum and and probably even some mature uh Younger grade kids. schoolers yeah and that is mainly um simply because it is dealing with some adult concepts so not mm-hmm. adult and being explicit but just that it'd be over their heads yeah well definitely take advantage of this opportunity to comment on our show notes at are you just watching dot com slash seventy one and uh we do want you to join in you know in on Facebook. We do have the Facebook discussion group and can find that at are you just watching and, and just by searching are you just watching on Facebook, which we also have a page where we post our episodes whenever they come out. So if you want to subscribe to our page, then that way you you automatically get our episodes when they pop up in your feed. Um, but you can also join the discussion group. Um, once again, I will tell you it is a private group, so you will have to actually request entry, but you will be allowed in. So we just yep. want to keep the discussions in their private. We don't turn people away. We don't turn people away. Um, do call us at 903-231-2221 and leave a voicemail. Uh, you can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes. We love reviews. Uh, we'd love to have some more. I don't think we have any fresh ones for this year. So somebody go review us so that we have a fresh review. You can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at Runchepley, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And you know Tim tweets actually a lot more than I do, so follow him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Definitely do check out the show notes. We'll probably put some additional tidbits of fun in the show notes that we didn't mention on the podcast. So uh, make it, it's worth your while to go check them out. And yeah, I think, think there'll be some good discussion uh, aspects in there, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, be sure to check that out. And thank you so much for listening. We re- really appreciate all of our listeners. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.